Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And he was there to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, he said, Look on us. And the man gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And I don't know if this next part excites you this morning as much as it excites me. When Peter looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus. I know you're asking for some silver and gold, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I know that's not what you're expecting from me. I know it's not the answer that you're asking for, but this is what I have for you today. I may not have the answer that you want, but I've come with the answer that you need. I want to spend just a little while with you this morning preaching on this subject. The answer this world needs. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them, I've found the answer. And you may be seated in the name of Jesus. I have good news for you this morning. I have good news for every person who has walked into the house of God broken hearted and tired. I have good news today for every person who's walked in here hurting and depressed and battling struggles with anxiety. I have good news for every person who has been fighting battles behind closed doors that nobody knows about but you can't seem to get the victory over it. I have good news for you today because I have found the answer that you need and the answer that you need can be found in the name of Jesus and I'm not talking about the whitewashed long-haired hippie Jesus either I'm talking about the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth the God who has power when he speaks the God who walks and it happens the God who ordains and it happens I'm talking about the God who looked down from the heavens and saw your need and saw your hurting and he said I have to do something about that the God who knew no sin but became sin so that you could have victory I've come to tell somebody today that the answer you need is Jesus I don't know if it makes me old fashioned or if it makes me young and naive but I still believe that there is power in the name of Jesus I still have yet to find another name that has healing like that name I can't find another name that has deliverance like that name if you need healing you can get it in Jesus if you need strength you can get it in Jesus I can't find any other name like the name of Jesus. If you're glad to know that name, would you shout yes? I've met a lot of people in my life who believed in the power of a lot of different things. I've met a lot of people who believe in the power of therapies and of psychiatrists and of counselors. 
I've met a lot of people who believe in the power of prescriptions and the power of drugs and the power of doctors. And listen, I'm thankful to live in a day in an age where we have doctors. Maybe you're not, but I'm glad to have doctors because I, I wouldn't be able to see y'all very good at the moment if it wasn't for a good old eye doctor. We had an Uber driver in Orlando just a few weeks ago at General Conference. And man, you got you to gotta be careful with the Uber drivers in Orlando. You, just, just take it from me. Maybe go ahead and upgrade to the XL when you're in Orlando because we met some incredible people. <laughs> Praise God. But one of our Uber drivers, we got in the car. My wife was like, man, this is nice. And she goes, what kind of car is this? He goes, this is a Hyundai Palisade. My wife's like, of course. I've been telling you I want a Palisade. Tell God. I don't know how to, how to help you. But he was trying to sell us on this Hyundai Palisade. And he said, you know, it's a great car. It's safety. You need safety for your family. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. He goes, but I believe that God gave us common sense. I said, well, some of us. I'm not sure about all of us. He said, if you can't afford the car, don't buy the car. I said, man, that's good preaching. And he says, kind of like this. If you break your leg, you should go to the doctor. I said, now you're really preaching. That's some good preaching. Listen, I'm thankful to be in a day and an age where we have doctors. We have access to programs and all these things. But what do you do when the doctors run out of answers? Can I tell you the story about a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and the Bible said that she had troubled every every physician in the land. She had spent every penny that she had and your Bible said she grew not the better but rather got worse. And I can't help but wonder if she began to just agree and grab on to this sense of hopelessness. If she just realized my life is always going to be like this. I'm always going to fight this. I'm always going to struggle with this. The doctors can't help me. They've run out of answers. They've done their best. I suffered many physicians, which suffered me many treatments, but I couldn't find the answer that I was looking for. And I can't help but wonder if a feeling of hopelessness began to settle in her heart. But I love in Mark chapter 5 when the Bible says, But when she heard of Jesus... She didn't waste another moment. But the Bible says when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched her garment. I'm telling somebody today who's tried the doctors and they've run out of answers. You've gone to the therapist and they can't help you. And you've resigned yourself to the fact that you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. I'm telling you when the world is out of answers, there is still one who has the answer. If you will get to Jesus. Jesus, he has the answers when nobody else does. And I love how Mark chapter 5 and verse number 34 puts it. When she gets to Jesus, when she finally gets to the master, when she finally gets to the answer that she needed, Jesus looked at her and said, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee half. You're a little better. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And if you missed it the first time, be whole of thy 
plague. Can I give you some insight into how Jesus works today? It's not the will of God for you to be healed halfway. It's not the will of God for you to come to church and just get a little bit better. It's not the will of God for you just to come and get enough of a blessing to make it to the next week. I'm so I'm thankful for programs, but I want to tell somebody, you didn't walk into the halfway house this morning. You walked into the house where you can be made whole by the power of Jesus. Say, preacher, I, I don't know about all that. I'm going to need, I, I'm going to need the, the, some scripture for that. Thank you for asking. I was hoping you would. If I can take you to Mark chapter 8. The Bible says that Jesus comes to a little town called Bethsaida. And when he gets there, they bring a blind man to him. Now, just so we're all on the same page, I have to ask questions like this in, in youth chapel. But we'll, we'll just go ahead and do it. Does everybody know what blind means? Then I usually say, well, I got worried there for a second. This was a blind man. They brought this blind man to Jesus and they asked Jesus to touch him. I can't help but wonder if maybe they heard about what happened to the woman with an issue of blood when she touched Jesus. But they bring the blind man to Jesus. And Jesus takes him outside of the city. And the Bible says that Jesus spits in his eye and lays his hand on him. Now, I want to make sure you got that. Jesus takes this blind man and he spits in his eye. We should put that on a flyer. We, oh, man, we will fill this place up. I'm telling you what. Come to the first Pentecostal church of Anderson. We'll spit in your eye and praise the Lord. <laughs> you can only get away with that if you're Jesus. Because it doesn't matter how messy the process is. As long as Jesus is involved, it's going to work out. It doesn't matter how messy it looks. You say, preacher, you don't understand. My life is a mess. God can't do anything with me. You just hold on a little while. Because God has a habit of turning messes into miracles. I know you don't understand the process. I know you don't understand how this is going to work. But if you'll just keep letting Jesus work on you, he's going to turn that mess and he's going to make it into a miracle. And the Bible says that when Jesus did it, Mark chapter number 8, let's go to verse number 24. He puts his hands on him. And he asks him a question in verse 23. He says, do you see anything? Now remember, this is a blind man in verse 23. But by the end of verse 23, Jesus has his hands on him. And in verse number 24... He asked, have you seen, can you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see. We need to pause and rejoice right there for a second. Because this was a man who had spent his whole life saying, I can't see. I wonder how many years he would bump into somebody in the marketplace. And they'd say, hey, watch where you're going. He'd say, I'm sorry, I can't see. I wonder how many years somebody would ask him, hey, can you grab that for me? Hey, can you move that out of the way? And he'd say, I'm sorry, but I can't see. But can I tell you that when Jesus gets his hands on you, he'll take your I can't see and he'll make it I can see. You might have thought you were going to be blind for the rest of your life. You might have thought you were going to stumble through life, bumping into things, not 
sure where you were going, but Jesus wants to reach down today and make your I can't see to an I can see. He wants to reach down to somebody who said, I don't think I can make it. And he wants to heal your heart and restore your mind and give you joy in the Holy Ghost until you walk out of this place saying, I think I can make it. It's a miracle. A blind man who could not see until Jesus gets involved. And Jesus has an answer that nobody else had for him. It is undeniable that a miracle has occurred. You can't deny that. He was a blind man, but now he says, I see. But what does the rest of verse 24 says in Mark 8 and 24? He said, I see men as trees walking. I got to ask you a question. Have you ever woken up in the morning, walked outside, and thought you saw trees walking? Ain't the way it's supposed to work. Now, if I took my glasses off and looked with my left eye, I think I'd get the picture a little clearer. Or maybe I should say a little blurrier. The rest of you will get that in about five minutes. No, don't laugh now. You missed your chance. It's over. We've moved on. He was better, right? This was a blind man, but now he can see. But the problem is he can't see clearly. He was better, but he was not made whole. A lot of us get stuck right here. A lot of people get stuck between being better and being made whole. We'll come to church on a Sunday morning, brokenhearted, with issues in our marriage, with issues in our family, struggling with personal addictions, and we'll get a touch of Jesus. We'll get just enough Holy Ghost to feel the goosebumps up and down our spine, and we'll leave better. But that night when you go to lay down your head, the struggle comes back, the depression comes back, the anxiety comes back. We get better, but we haven't yet been made whole. I want to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost today, it's not the will of God for you to go through life just getting a little bit better. It's not the will of God for you to come to service after service and get just enough of a touch and get just enough of goosebumps and get just enough deliverance to make it to the next service. But the will of God is that you would leave this place today not just better, but made whole. You don't have to go home with the same struggle that you came with today. You don't have to go home and fight the same battles that you came with today because God is not interested in a temporary deliverance but God wants to break the yoke of that bondage off of your life but we get so stuck between better and whole he's better but he's not whole but I love What happens next because he doesn't leave. You see, sometimes Jesus puts the ball in your court. And he says, let's see how much you really want. In verse number 24, we could have read. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Thank you, Jesus. I think I can see my way back home. The ball was in his court now. Jesus touched him. But Jesus, it was never the desire of Jesus just to make him better. Jesus desired to make him whole. But sometimes he has to put the ball in your court and say, do you really want to be made whole? 
Do you really want to leave that behind? Do you really want to see clearly? Or do you just want enough of a blessing to get you by? But there was something in the heart of this man that said, I'm not leaving the presence of Jesus. I'm not leaving the presence of the master. Not until I can just see, but until I can see clearly. And Mark chapter 8 and verse number 25, the Bible says that after that... After what? After the man decided he didn't have enough yet. After the man made up his mind, I'm going to stay here until I get another touch. The Bible says after that, he put his hands again. Somebody say again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. I want to tell somebody this morning that there is an anointing, a second touch anointing that is moving through this house today and maybe you've had some issues that you couldn't get over you've gotten better but it's time to leave it behind it's time to leave it today it's time to get the second touch of the master it was never the will of god to supply a temporary fix to your permanent problem this is found all throughout the scriptures This is not just a one-off story. This is a pattern in the Word of God. When you begin to look through the First Testament with Moses and the tabernacle and the offerings of doves and rams and bullocks, the blood of those rams and doves had enough power to push back the penalty of sin. But do you realize that the system had insufficiency built into it? Because every year they were reminded it's still there. I pushed it back a little bit. I made it a little bit better. It's not as weighty as it used to be, but every year they were reminded it's still there. You thought you pushed the depression back, but it's still there. You pushed the anxiety back, the fear back. You pushed the issues back, but they're still there. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 3 said it like this. He said, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4 says, for it is not possible. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. They can help. But they can't take it away. And so often we get stuck in that cycle. We're okay if it just gets pushed back. Because it takes it off of the burner. It takes it off of our immediate mindset. It makes it to where we can take another step tomorrow. But it was not possible for the blood of this world. For the things of this world to make you whole. That therapist can maybe make you better. That counselor can make you better. Those drugs and those medicines can make you better. But it is not possible for them to make you whole. So Jesus looked down and said, no, we've got to do something better than this Jesus said the blood of bulls and rams aren't cutting it so I myself am going to have to come and the writer said in verse 9 he said lo I come oh I'm thankful that he came I'm thankful that he didn't just watch me struggle I'm thankful he didn't just watch me crush under the weight of that bondage but he said I come to do thy will O God He taketh away the first, the first what? The first covenant. 
the things that can make it better, but not perfect, that he may establish the second. What's the second? You're the second. The church of the living God is the second. Verse 10, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Somebody say it with me. Once and for all. The blood of Jesus didn't come to push your sin back for another year. It didn't come to push your depression back for another year. It didn't come to push off the eventuality of the destruction of your marriage for another year. The blood of Jesus came to settle the score once and for all. If you're looking for the answer this morning, you're not going to find it in the blood of doves. You're not going to find it in the blood of rams or of bullocks. But you will find it in the blood of Jesus Because Jesus isn't interested in a temporary fix. He wants to make you whole. If you believe that, somebody seal it with a praise. I feel like somebody's starting to believe it today. Somebody's starting to believe I don't have to leave here the same way that I came. Somebody's starting to buy into the idea that maybe this Jesus is the answer that I've been looking for. Watching somebody come to this realization is such an incredible thing to behold. I love watching precious men and women be baptized in the name of Jesus. Have the blood of Jesus applied over their lives. I love watching them speak in tongues for the first time when they're filled with the spirit of Jesus. I love watching it happen. But there's something so perplexing to me that happens after a powerful move of God. And I've watched it happen time and time again. I've, I've experienced it. And I'm pretty sure this morning that you probably have too. But there's something so strange that happens. Because you can be in church on a Sunday night. And you can get the breakthrough you've been trying to get. You can unequivocally feel the hand of God rest upon you in a church service. And you know without a shadow of a doubt you've been healed. That God has touched you. That God's made you whole. That he washed your sins away. That he filled you with the Holy Ghost. Without a doubt in your mind. But then you wake up on Monday morning. And you go back to the same job. You go back to the same school. You begin to walk through the routines of life. Like it's any other normal day. And it's such a perplexing thing. Because how can you stand in the power and the unction of God Eight hours earlier, but now everything feels so normal. And that's when the devil will slip up beside you. He'll start saying things like, wow, your life really did change, didn't it? You didn't really get healing last night. You didn't really get the touch that you needed last night. I know it felt good, but that's just emotionalism. That's just because it was the hype of the crowd. You felt good in the church, but look at everything. It's so normal now. And this is exactly where we find Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 in our opening text today. Because if I could have a little bit of hermeneutical privilege this morning, I'd tell you that Acts chapter 3 is Monday morning. You realize we're not very many verses removed from Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? That's a pretty powerful powerful thing right there. 
One of the most monumental occasions to ever occur in the history of humanity has just happened. God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. They heard a sound from heaven as of a great and mighty rushing wind. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they had general conference. What do you mean? The Bible said Peter stood up with 11 other preachers. He's at general conference. Uh-huh. That's the only way I can explain that to you. If you're standing on the platform with 11 other preachers, you're having camp meeting. Praise God. He's standing up in the church with people who believe like he does. And the power of God falls. They have revival. The Bible says 3,000 souls were added unto them that day. I want to see that kind of revival in the city of Anderson. I want to see a 3,000 soul revival. That happened in Acts chapter 2. But now it's Acts chapter 3. And they're not, he's not with the other 11 now. Now it's just him and John. He's not preaching the great conference message. Now he's just in his normal routine. He's just going through the mundane things of life. The Bible says it was at the ninth hour that they went. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I can imagine as they're walking to the temple. Remember, this isn't the first time they've been to the temple. They were good Jewish men. They went to the temple every day. This was their routine. And I can almost see them walking through the marketplace. They, they smell the, the fresh baked bread. They smell all the goods, the fruits. They, they see all these people. They walk into the marketplace and everybody's doing the same thing they always do. And they're thinking to themselves, man, last night was so powerful, but nobody seems to care. Did, did anything actually change? Because everything seems... So normal. But I want to tell you that they went to the temple for the same reason. They went for praising God. They went so that they could worship. They went through the routine for the same reason. But something did change. What they went with changed. Because now they've got something with them that they've never had before in their lives. The, the powerful event happened last night. And when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they had to go through the routines for the same reason. But now they're carrying with them something different. And I want to tell you that when you get out of church on a Sunday night and you wake up on Monday morning, and it seems like it's just the usual. It seems like you're going there for the same reason. You're going there for a paycheck. You're going there so you can provide for your family. But here's what's changed. Used to, you took with you your depression. Used to, you took with you your anxiety used to you took with you your struggles but now when you walk into that workplace you might be going for the same reason but now you're taking with you peace and you're taking with you joy you're taking with you the power of the holy ghost you might get up and go to school for the same reason you might go for that education but when you walk onto that campus after you've been filled with the holy ghost you've got something different inside of you you've got something different with you now you're carrying with you the answer that this world needs you're carrying with you the power to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover you're carrying with you the answer that they need everything seemed so normal but it wasn't normal everything had changed because Acts 2 and 38 did not change what they went there for but it changed what they went there with and as Peter and John, they go to the temple to pray. They come across a man who has real problems. Do you know anybody who has real problems? 
Maybe you don't, but I know a couple people who have real problems. They're not faking it. They're not just trying to tell you a story to get sympathy. There's some people in this world who have real problems. They have real needs. And Peter and John see this man. And the man, when he sees them, he asks of them an alms. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 5. The Bible said that Peter had told the man to look on them. And when the man who had needs, when he looked at Peter and John, he expected to receive something of them. Somebody say expected. But what did this man expect? What did this man expect to receive from Peter and John that morning? Well, the Bible tells us that he was asking them an alms, so I would think it's reasonable to assume that he was expecting a couple coins in the jar. And I don't know how you read it, but I have a hard time believing that this is the first time Peter and John ever saw this man. Remember, this is their normal routine. This is what they do every day of their lives. They've seen this man before. And maybe they'd walk past him and drop a coin in his bucket. Maybe they'd walk past him. After all, he was asking for alms, was he not? He was asking for money. It was the answer that he wanted. And how many times does it take to give somebody the answer that they're asking for until they learn to expect the expected from you? They expect no more and no less. How many times do we interact with people on a daily basis with real needs, but they've learned to expect the expected from us? They expect us to be polite. They expect us to be kind. They expect us to tip them well. They expect us to give them a dollar or two. They expect us to acknowledge their need and maybe be an ear to listen. But they never expect for their life to be changed. How many times do you have to go through the routine of your life passing people with real needs and real problems? That person in your workplace that has a marriage that's falling apart and you just smile and give them the wave. That person in your family who is struggling with depression and addiction and you just pat them on the back and say, it's okay, you're going to make it. How many times do we have to give them the attention they're asking for before we realize that we have the answer that they need? They expect us to say, I'll pray for you. But how often do they expect us to actually pray for them then and there? I preached this this story in chapel on Friday morning. I, I was in, when I was studying at Indiana University, I had this group project. Because you have all kinds of unnecessary group projects in college. That's how college works. And every week for months, months, I would get texts on a Tuesday saying, Hey, our group is going to meet in the library tomorrow night at 7 o'clock to work on our project. Months. Oh my goodness, every week. We're going to meet on Wednesday to work on our project at 7 o'clock. And I'd text them back, Sorry, but I won't be there. I've got church on Wednesdays. And I'm not missing church to work on a group project. You can do what you want, but that's, that was my answer. And week after week goes by. I said, sorry, I can't make it. I'm going to be in church. And at the end of that project, we had to write up reviews of everybody in the group. How do you think that went for me? <laughs> I'm going to give you two guesses what they put on there. And writing, you were very handsome, was not one of the things they wrote on the list. 
It would have helped my confidence, but they didn't do it. They wrote, you weren't very flexible. No, you weren't flexible enough. We put in all this work and all this effort, and you were never there. You didn't show up when we needed you to show up. You weren't flexible. I had one guy put on there. God bless him because he knew what he was talking about. He said, if you want to be successful in the world of business, you're going to have to learn to be more flexible. Sorry, buddy, but I'm not going to be flexible for this world. Guess what? My inflexibility, guess what happened? I still passed the class. I still got my degree, but guess what else? I'm still in church. I'm still saved. I'm still filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I still have a calling on my life. I want to tell somebody this morning, you don't have to be more flexible for this world. They're going to hold it over your head and say, if you don't be here when we tell you to be here, you're never going to be anything. You're never going to do anything. You know what my answer to that is? Sorry, I don't have to be flexible for this world because I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the faithful begging bread. And let me tell you this, I've never seen the faithful out of work either I've never seen the faithful destitute sorry I'm not going to be flexible for you world and this is the part of the story that I love out of the same group the same group a young lady came up to me after class one day and she said so my mother was just admitted into the hospital would you pray for my mother Go ahead and go to, the, go to the work if you want to. Go ahead and go to the group project if you want to. But there's a difference when the world knows you don't miss church for the things of this world. There's a difference in a door of opportunity that is opened up before you when you say, I'm not going to be flexible for your agenda. And I said, yeah, I'll pray for your mother. How about this? Let's pray right now. You know what she did? She backed away. She started crying. She was shocked. I don't think anybody in her life had ever said, well, let's pray right now. How many times have people asked you in your work and your family said, hey, will you pray for so-and-so? Hey, will you pray for such-and-such? I wonder what would happen if you said, well, let's do it right now. Do you really believe that you have the answer that this world needs? Because if you really believe it, you won't put it off. You won't say, let me go to church and talk to the pastor. You'll say, grab my hand. Let's call on the name of Jesus right now. We were sitting in Applebee's. My wife and I was with Pastor and his family. And there was a server that came over. And he said, man, I, I'm just, I've been going through it today. This table is treating me like trash. This ta- they, they ran me like crazy. And they left me nothing. They were rude. He said, would you guys just pray for me? And we didn't say, okay, brother, you're going to be okay. We'll be praying for you. Now, right then and there, we grabbed a hold of him in the middle of the restaurant and said, in the name of Jesus, we speak peace over his mind right now. In the name of Jesus, we release the answer that you need. He didn't need just another pat on the back. He didn't need just another friendly smile from the friendly Pentecostal. He needed somebody to yoke up with him and say, I know you've been going through it. I know you've got real needs. I know you've got real problems. But can I tell you that I have the answer that you need? I wonder what would happen if we stopped giving people what they expect from us. Stop giving them the answer that they want. Because you realize that you have the answer that they need. They might not be asking to pray right there in the middle of Panera. But maybe they need you to pray right there. For them in the middle of Panera. They might not be asking to break out a Bible study and a prayer meeting in the middle of your lunch break at work. But maybe what they need is for a Bible study and a prayer meeting to break out in the middle of a lunch meeting at work. I'm talking about the answer.
that they need. And watch what happens. Peter could have just dropped the coins in his bucket and gone on his way. You know what would have happened? Same thing that happened every day. He'd see him again tomorrow. Same thing that happened would happen again. But Acts chapter 3 and verse number 6, there was some kind of boldness that got a hold of Peter. See, that thing that he was carrying with him started knocking on the door of his heart. Hey, it's time to act, buddy. Hey, it's time to step out by faith. Hey, it's time to, to, to give that person a different answer than you usually give them. It's how you got to be sensitive when the Holy Ghost starts speaking to you like that. Because you never know the window of opportunity you've been granted. And if you miss that window, that window might never be open again. So Peter said, oh, there's something about this moment. There's something about this moment that I cannot let pass me by. So Peter opened his mouth up and with boldness of the Holy Ghost proclaimed, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And what do you think happened when he stepped out of his comfort zone? What do you think happened when he refused to give him the answer that he was asking for? What do you think happened when he said, I'm not going another day without giving this man the answer that he needs? The Bible says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. I wonder how many miracles are waiting for you to step outside your comfort zone. I wonder how many miracles are waiting on you to act in the moment to declare with boldness and faith in the name of Jesus. Immediately, the miracle happened. Miracles happen when you really believe that Jesus is the answer. That this world needs. You can say you believe that Jesus can heal all day long. But I want to know. How do you interact with the man who needs healing? Belief isn't profession. Belief is not confession. Belief is activation of the spirit. And the boldness of the Holy Ghost. When that person with a need has a need. You walk up and not say. I believe God can heal you. But you grab him by the hand. And say in the name of Jesus. Rise up. Be made whole. Be healed. Be free. Be set free by the power of Jesus. And you know what I love about this story? Remember Acts chapter 2. How big was the revival? 3,000. 3,000 souls were added. Does anybody want to take a guess? What Acts chapter 4, I believe it's verse number 1, says, After the miracle... In the marketplace. After Peter stepped outside of his comfort zone. After Peter stepped outside of what the man wanted and expected. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, How be it many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. You know what that tells me? That tells me to be thankful for everything that happened on Sunday night. 
I'm thankful for the revival that we had in the church. I'm thankful for the revival that we had in camp meeting. I'm thankful for the moves of God that we have in conferences. But the greatest moves of God waiting on the church are not waiting within the four walls of this building. But the after the miracle in the marketplace, there was a greater revival than on the day of Pentecost. I'm telling you today that the revival in this city is going to be unlocked when you get out of your comfort zone. When you really believe you've got the answer, I'm telling you that the greatest revival we have ever seen is on the other side of the miracle in the marketplace. It's on the other side of the miracle in the mundane. It's on the other side of the miracle at your work, at your job, at your school. The greatest revival we have ever seen is waiting on you to realize that you have the answer that this world needs but you've got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone listen i get it the moment you walk into that window of opportunity you're going to have that little voice start speaking in your head saying they don't want to hear that they don't want that it's not going to help them what if you pray for them and nothing happens i heard brother jeff arnold one time he said, he, he had a young man come up and ask him. He said, well, Brother Arnold, what, what do you say if you pray for them and they're not healed? He said, I got a simple answer for you, bud. He said, I told God a long time ago, I'm not going to take credit when you heal them. And I'm not going to take the blame if you choose not to. Your name is not the name that's on the line when you grab them by the hand and say in the name of Jesus. Your reputation is not the reputation that's on the line when you begin to walk by faith and walk by boldness of the Holy Ghost. But I'm telling you, the Bible declared it clearly. said you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Your reputation is not the one we're questioning. But if you'll walk by faith and say, God, I'll risk it all. God, I'll put it out there. God, I know that you are the answer that they need. If somebody believes that, would you shout yes? Yes. I feel faith starting to rise in this house today. I, I just felt that shift in the spirit. There's some faith beginning to build in this room today. Oh, God. On Friday morning, the Lord woke me up very early. About four o'clock, you know, I've learned when that happens to, my first question used to be, Lord, why on earth am I up? What do you want? But I've learned that if he he does that, it's probably for a reason. And I went to my living room at the early hours of the morning this weekend. And I sat in my chair and I began to pray and plead the blood of Jesus over this church and over this city. Because I want to see a move of God in this city. And as I was praying... I prayed a prayer that I prayed quite often. I said, Lord, would you open my eyes to see the things that I can't see? Would you open my spirit to see the things that are in the supernatural realm, in the spirit realm, where, you, where your presence abides? And I tell you, you got to be careful praying prayers like that. Because you might just get what you're asking for. But on Friday morning, I was, I was praying. I said, Lord, would you open my eyes? And, and sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And this morning, he... He didn't, but he opened my ears. And I began to hear the sound of marching feet. It was the most overwhelming sound I've ever heard in my life. It was the sound of angel armies coming 
into formation. And I heard in the distance this, this faint cry of a trumpet. And as that trumpet sent out these cries and these blasts, it was call after call of pulling these angel armies into formation. Because can I remind you that Jeremiah said, Their Redeemer is strong, the Lord of hosts is his name. He's not just the God of an army. He's the God of angel armies. And I heard these angels starting to get in alignment one by one. And I heard the trumpet sounding. I couldn't help but wonder, what if that last trump? What if that's not the call of escape? What if it's not the call of a retreat out of the trials of this world? But what if that last trump is the sounding of bringing the last piece of the army of the living God into formation? For the last and final battle. You might think nothing's going on right now. But I'm telling you. In the spirit realm there are angels. That are marching in the formation. As we are sitting in this house today. And as I heard the sound of the marching. And as I heard the sound of the trumpet. I heard the voice of the Lord. Moving through the camp of the angels. And over and over. I heard the word of the Lord say. Prepare for victory. Prepare for victory. The devil thinks he has this all wrapped up. The devil would like to think that he knows how this is going to pan out. He'd like to think that he has his hands on your family. He'd like to think that he's going to win this battle. But I'm telling you today that there is a call coming in the supernatural that is saying to the church, prepare for victory. What will preacher, how can you be so sure that we're going to be victorious? How can you be so sure that we're going to have the victory? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 57. He said, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The devil thought he had ruined your marriage. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The devil thought that depression was going to destroy you. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The devil thought you were never going to get off of those pills. He thought you were never going to put down that bottle. He thought that you were never going to be free from that addiction. He thought you were going to struggle with it until the day that you died. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell the devil today that he thought he had his hands on my family. He thought he had victory over your lost loved ones. He thought he had victory in this city. He thought we were never going to see revival. But I'm here today to declare to the heavenlies and to every ear in Anderson and to every spirit. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling somebody today, you better start preparing for victory because your family's coming back. I'm telling somebody today, you better start preparing for victory because we're about to see the revival we've been waiting for. I wish somebody would begin to believe that right now as the music makes their way. I wish somebody would begin to believe that you have victory. I'm telling somebody who has walked in here with a struggle, something that you've been fighting your whole life and you've never been able to get victory over it. I'm telling you today that you can have victory because you can have Jesus. Oh, Oh, shut up, Oklahoma.
Oh, I wish that faith would just begin to build in this room today. I wish somebody would just step out of the aisle and step out of your pew and begin to prepare for that victory with a praise. I wish somebody would begin to praise God like your family already walked through the doors. I wish somebody would begin to speak victory over your lost loved ones. I wish somebody would begin to speak victory over the needs in your workplace and over the needs in your school. I wish somebody in this place would begin to prepare for victory. I don't claim to know much this morning, but here is one thing that I do know in the Holy Ghost. That there are some people in this room under the sound of my voice that you have been fighting the same battle over and over for years after year after year. And I want to tell you today that a second touch anointing has moved into this sanctuary. If you're who I'm talking to right now, if you're tired of fighting that same battle, if you're tired of fighting that same depression, if you're tired of just getting a little bit better and it never going away, but you are ready to be made whole, would you begin to make your way to this front right now? Would you begin to make your way right in front of this pulpit? We're going to come together as a church and we're going to declare victory in the name of Jesus. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Come on, church. If I'm talking to you right now, if you're tired of being better and you want to be made whole, would you come to this front right now? As they begin to make their way, I wish, church family, could we just begin to gather around them? And would you lay your hands on them? We are going to pray in the name of Jesus. And this isn't just a prayer saying, God, would you make it better? I want you to speak in boldness and power this morning. I want you to begin to release victory in that life. Begin to release a victory over their mind. Begin to release victory over their family. If you have a lost loved one in your family, if you have somebody that the devil thinks he has their grasp on, but you're ready to release victory over them, would you make your way to the front right now? Would you begin to lift your hands and speak victory over that situation?